gonna go live, right? It's gonna go live on YouTube and uh, Facebook, whereby I'm just gonna go to Facebook and share. Three, two, one, and we are live. everyone thank you for coming to the second day of international uh, humanity summit and it is such an honor today i mean it's the deep part of my heart that singapore um, is able to host this show heroes of our times with uh, dr Moby as a frontline doctor as the tv sponsor and he's going to do the opening speech and also much more important it is an exclusive event for the veterans um, of United States of America, and uh, the chairwoman is Annette, Miss Annette Wittenberger, and um, we've done uh, five shows with her. Um, she talked about her life story and uh, her book, um, The Wall Between Two Lives, and also Mr. Ralph Ave, um, six shows uh, with him about military stories. Uh, without further ado, uh, I'd like to welcome all of you once again to Singapore, uh, and it is 10, 11 p.m. 28th of November 2021 and it is the Thanksgiving uh, weekend in America right there. So Dr. Moby, take it away. The floor is yours. Okay. Well, uh, thank you, Vicky, and thank you um, all of you. Um, welcome on this important day. And, uh, you know, this is a great opportunity for all of us to connect and honor our veterans. Uh, myself, I had all, uh, also honored to serve uh, in Wounded Warrior Program for seven years in U.S. Army. And then it was as a physician and we were able to manage a lot of soldiers across the whole U.S. remotely as well as uh, in person. So it was a great program and I think uh, one of the things we realized that while serving as a physician was a lot of issues with mental health. A lot of veterans actually, um, they keep on serving for years to come and, and they don't forget about their own health. So one of the things they, a lot of commanders used to discuss is that, oh my God, it's been 20 years have passed and I am now, I feel I'm broken, but I never cared about because I had such a zeal and power to serve our nation but i did not take care of myself and this is sad and i see that uh, also a lot of uh, folks so one important thing is to make sure that they take, should take care of their health physical as well as mental violence service and the other thing we used to see a lot was a post service or transition so they, uh, you know, they are, they are, I think, uh, they never realized that after 20 years of service, they have to serve um, outside. And then, so that's a different world and with different set of rules and everything. So to prepare them for the next chapter in their life, this is very important. So, you know, so those are the two important things I used to work on and help them. And, you know, while I was there, I was fortunate we did not have a single suicide. So 
you know that is great thing so you know i think but this is very important uh, you know the realizing the post traumatic stress disorder mental health as well as physical health very very important so you know uh, my salute to all um, you know servicemen who are serving us and also part of this great nation but also uh, it's our duty to take care of you so you know or at least you and your family best we can and uh, so my emphasis would be both physical and mental health and transition care Thank you so much, uh, Dr. Moby, and uh, Dr. Moby was also um, the keynote speaker yesterday for both sessions, session three and session three, where we had a total of 16 speakers back to back um, from all over the world and all over America. Uh, thank you so much, Dr. Moby. Um, Dr. Moby, um, thank you also for being the TV sponsor, um, and that's the number one American professional podcast TV, Lifestyle TV USA. And please go to. Um, Lifestyle TV USA that is um, in Facebook and also in the Google site that he has. Thank you so much, Dr. Moby. Um, and also another shout out to um, uh, Dr. Moby. Um, he is ranked 56 worldwide for his podcast. So salute to you, doctor. Thank you, Dr. Moby. And also let's have um, uh, Annette. Um, let's give the floor to Annette. And Annette, you are the chairwoman of... Uh, today's show and uh, I'll move aside and let you chair the show uh, and starting with uh, uh, some of your speech and some of the speakers and then you can go into um, a discussion panel. Um, the floor is yours, Annette. Thank you so much. Good morning, everybody. I'm I'm coming in from Texas and I know we have people all from all over the place. I'll have each one of them tell you where they are coming from, but I just, I'm really grateful for this opportunity to just be in the space among my um, veteran sisters and brothers. Uh, it's just such an honor to have them all here with me. So I wanted to start out by introducing everyone. Each one is a different branch, which is amazing. So we have from Army, Air Force, Coast Guard, and, and all that. So uh, Ms. Tara Ruby, could you please tell us where you are from and what you uh, served as? Um, we are currently in El Paso, Texas, and I was in the Air Force. And you also have a spouse who's serving right now. Can you tell us what he does? I do. I, I have a spouse in the Army, and I actually have a son that just commissioned in the Army. Um, so we're stationed here at Fort Bliss in El Paso, Texas, um, and my son's getting ready to, to start his career, so we're not quite sure where he'll end up yet. That's awesome. Thank you so much. Hey, Ralph, why don't you tell us what you retired as? Uh, I did the Air Force, uh, six years active duty, 16 years, uh, 14 years reserves, and I retired as a Chief Master Sergeant, uh, just an E9 for the other branches that don't know. Um, did three career fields in the Air Force, uh, weapons, ammo and then uh, logistics and I'm from Ridgecrest originally from uh, Honolulu Hawaii but now living in Ridgecrest California I love it thank you so much and Miss Christine Adams please yes um, I'm currently living in Fayetteville North Carolina that's out of side of Fort Bragg and I think I've been wearing the army boots the longest of all of us here um, I enlisted when I was 20 into the National Guard um, commissioned as an officer into active duty army, 
um, stepped out into the Army Reserve side of the house um, and wound up retiring as an AGR. So that was about 32 and a half years nonstop wearing the uniform. So yes, I have a lot of stories, never enough time to share them. <laughs> <laughs> I thank you for your service. That's that's amazing. I always thought that people who served more than 20 was like, wow. So that's, that's so awesome. Thank you. And Miss Nicole Smith. Hi everyone, thank you so much for having me. Um, so I am Nicole Smith, and um, I guess some kids say like I'm the unicorn of the room because most people don't even know about Coast Guard, but I was active duty Coast Guard. Um, I served for just 20 plus years, retired in 2019. Um, I retired as a senior chief and I was an operations specialist. Um, and my husband is also military. He was in the Coast Guard, that's how we met. And he retired as a boatswain's mate this year. Thank you so much. So now that we have everybody introduce themselves, um, Ms. Vicki did go over some questions, but I'm not gonna have each one of them answer each question. I Because I know them a little bit already, I uh, am feeling some of these questions are gonna be directed specifically for each one of you because um, I know how passionate you are about our time that we served and then after after serving and our family and, and all that. So I'm gonna start with Ms. Tara first because this, this question jumped out at me. And um, Tara, I know we spoke the other day about army life and family. And family life how to how have we been able to intertwine the two and just balance everything and it's not as easy as people think so tara can you talk to us a little bit about uh well whatever you want to share because i know we've had some <laughs> ups and downs probably more downs but um People, people need to know that, you know, army life isn't as easy as people think. It's not just about deployments. It's about the, what's not seen be, you know, behind the scenes, being that spouse with kids and having to move and all that. So talk to us a little bit about that. Exactly. So I actually joined in 97. Um, my family military history could date the whole way back to the civil war. So it was kind of expected to go into the military, um, married into it is right away because that's what you do you marry another soldier um and then we got a divorce and i married another soldier <laughs> and we stayed together for a while moved everywhere um and then of course unfortunately that one didn't work out and i was like that's it i'm never marrying military ever again and of course i met somebody who's like i'm gonna join the military so gary and i've been together for almost uh, 13 years now and he is currently deployed it's his second deployment back to back um so essentially minus a few months um at the beginning of the year we've been separated for almost 18 months and i have a teenage daughter that still lives at home um i have like i said i have a son who just joined and commissioned in He's trying to figure out his way in the military. Um, we also have a farm, um, so that's been fun to keep ourselves busy, but we are constantly transitioning. And um, the very first thing that the VA tells you when you go in is to put yourself on a schedule. And I tell them that my schedule is I don't have a schedule. Um, we are always, I feel like we're always in a constant flux of we're going somewhere, we're unpacking, we're packing. Um, our last house, I literally had just unpacked the last box and we got orders here. So it's, it's this constant influx of moving and um, it's, it's, I feel like it's my job always to make our house a home 
and it doesn't matter. You know, I have a lot of friends, especially on the civilian side, that get really attached to a house or a piece of land or a property or a location. And we can never be that way. We are constantly on the go. We are constantly moving. Um, you know, if you're somewhere for more than four years, you're doing really good. I mean, we're, and so I think people don't understand how much we move. And um, for example, like if somebody asks me to give them where I've lived for the last 10 years, which if you're going to get a really good significant job, they want to know, I have to pull my credit record because I don't remember all the zip codes or the addresses. And I see you all shaking your head and laugh. I mean, I just can't remember. And as you get older, it's harder to remember. Um, it's harder to keep friends. I mean, you find out real fast who the people are that are very much so your friends. So it's hard to have a support. Um, we're going through holidays. And I cooked and you know my whole holiday meal here for me and my daughter because my husband's gone, my family's not able to come. Um, obviously, gas prices are, are a little bit high right now, so nobody's driving anywhere. Um, I have PTSD. It's really hard for me sometimes to fly a long distance. So trying to just the anxiety of trying to make it home, it, it's just not worth it. So it's that constant struggle and balance and trying to find everything right. And at the end of the day, I feel like um, I, it's my job to make my house a home. It's my house. Um, it's my job to make my family feel comfortable wherever they are. Um, especially my husband, he's still active duty. So when he comes home after deployment, I want him to walk home. I want him to come into the house and feel like he's at home um, because he's lived in this house for, I think all of six weeks and then he left. And so when he left, the house was still in boxes, the pictures weren't up on the walls. Um, and it's just simple struggles like that. Like how do you make your house, this brand new house in a brand new location, um, feel like a home? And then we've added a farm on top of it. So I feel, you know, I'm a photographer. I've been a photographer for a long time. We moved my studio back to the house with him being gone. It was just easier. Um, and, and I've started to find that because I've invested so much time in making my house a home for me and my family, um, when my clients come, and most of these clients are younger military, they're 19 to 20, 19 to 22, um, they come here and they instantly feel like they're at the house and they're home. And I'm Aunt Tara to a lot of people. <laughs> so I've just become this, this, I've gotten thrown into a role that I wasn't expecting. And we do a lot of things like cooking meals, home cooked meals, um, simple things that most people don't consider um, a need or a concern or something that they even, you know, cause it's so easy to go get fast food, but a home cooked meal brings your family back home. And we do a lot more eating at the tables and um, we have a huge kitchen table that we've brought everybody to. Um, so simple things like that, like how do you keep your life normal when you're constantly in a shuffle and rotating? And, and yeah, since, since I've, no, I've known you since 2012, I believe now. <laughs> uh, a long so time. I, you've, you've always been on the go, but I think what people need to know too is where do you find me time like you i've seen you, you're passionate about your photography so i think you put it all in there but now it's in your farm and it's in your cooking so is that what i mean because you need to have time for yourself among doing all that so where is that where you find it is putting pouring your heart into those things and how do you do it there's a lot of um new me time i think every time we move 
every time we get into a new location. And then of course, with this back-to-back deployment, I have definitely found me uh, because you get so involved in being the spouse or the wife. And now that he's gone, um, I don't have, I really have no need to go on on any of the installations. Um, And we kind of have just felt like glorified civilians for the last 18 months, which is very different. Um, And of course I do have a farm and I do have my veteran issues and that's a whole nother story, but the farm has been amazing. Um, We raise our own meat. um, We milk our own goats. I make cheese um, and have really gotten into that side of it. And then that of course makes you eat better, which is healthier. And then I've actually just moved into, I am not an exercise person. I was in the Air Force. Like we didn't, uh, and that's the joke. (laughs) You guys are laughing, but it was, physical fitness was never the top priority. I was in space command. I was doing some amazing things. And so I'm now mid forties and I'm just now feeling like I should probably start taking care of myself physically. Um, And we've been so worried about the mental side of it, which is an extremely important thing to worry about, but we have to worry about our physical self as well. And with my husband gone, I've started to realize that I probably wasn't as healthy as I thought I was, uh, because now I'm here by myself and I have to do it all by myself. So I think moving forward in the next couple weeks, next couple months, um, taking care of me, and that means everything, physical, mental, spiritual, emotional, that's the importance and I'm really learning as I get older that if I can't take care of me I can't take care of anybody else I can't take care of my daughter I can't take care of my spouse and I definitely can't do it to the the level that I feel like I should be Um, and so taking care of me even shopping like going shopping and spending you know two hours walking around the outlets I might not buy anything I probably will, but I I might not buy anything, but that's just me time, like buy a cup of coffee, have some quiet downtime and to not feel guilty about it. Yeah, that's so important. Oh my gosh. Thank you for saying that. It's, it's, yeah, I I feel that in my whole soul, (laughs) but it's so important to just do something like that. No, thank you so much for sharing just, and this is just a small part of your story. So there's so much more, but this is what people don't see behind the scenes. So I appreciate you. Thank you so much for sharing. Um, let's go to, let's go to Miss Nicole. So Nicole, you, we've known each other for a couple years now, but um, you are, you have three boys, you have a spouse, but then there's you also trying to navigate all of it well oh, pun intended navigate your freedom talk about <laughs> talk a little bit about <laughs> your your journey real quick oh man so i'm so glad that i kind of get to go right after tara because i was resonating with so much of what tara was saying and you know how you incorporate your families and as she was sharing about you know like the marriages and you you marry a fellow military person because they get it right like they're supposed to get it at least um and sometimes even that can be a struggle um and for myself and my husband um as i had mentioned in my introduction we met while serving um and there was actually running joke like as i began to decide like okay i think it's my time to to get out i'm i'm burning out i'm tired like it's it's time we actually had this joke that like you know are we going to survive like are we going to make it because we had spent our entire marriage very much separated as Tara was saying, you know, like 
if we wanted to be stationed together, it usually meant one of us was deploying, and unfortunately, the majority of the time, that meant my husband was gone. And I was on the home front um, and taking care of the children. And so, and if we were stationed at you know both land units, we had to work opposite schedules. Um, so we were always like the ships passing in the night, passing off the children, and you know, for us, it was it was hard. It's hard to make that work. And I think that that is also one of the things that a lot of our civilian friends and counterparts don't really see is that that sacrifice that we do to make it work. They just see it working, right? But they don't see the sacrifice that goes in it that, you know, my husband and I never had like family time together. And if we did, we had to take leave or request vacation time, or it meant that one of us was sick, you know, to be able to have time together. And that was never fun. Um, but also too, like you were saying, like the sacrifices with the children, that's for me what really did it in and made me really make the decision to to retire is I was really realizing that it wasn't my sacrifice. You know, everybody always thinks of that trend and they're thank you for your sacrifice, but my children sacrificed, you know, it was my decision to join the military. It wasn't theirs. And when I began to realize that they didn't have the big grand or birthday parties that I had as a child, you know, with all of my friends, because I was always in one place and we had tens and 15, you know, friends. No, it was always the five of us. And we would maybe take them to an amusement park, which is still awesome. But they longed for like the sleepovers and the big birthday parties and things like that, that we just couldn't give them because I didn't know the parents. Um, or, you know, they wanted to join sports, but couldn't because there was one of me if my husband was deployed or vice versa and three kids and how was I going to get three kids to different sports if they were across town or different times you know so just a lot of the things that I unfortunately had to say no to um, and so that was you know as you mentioned my business is navigate your freedom and that was part of what we really had to begin navigating was how do we no longer sacrifice these things um, how do we, you know, start giving back and taking care of our family? Um, and I really feel like that's just kind of where that journey kind of began. I appreciate you sharing that. I know it's so difficult. I know we talk a lot about how do we continue to stay motivated. And um, I think when you started your business, that was that was it right there. It was how do I help other women from burnout? And I was like, oh my gosh. That's, that's exactly what needs to happen, you know? So thank you so much for sharing and for being here. Um, Ms. Christine. So Ms. Christine and I actually met earlier this year. Um, we really resonate on transition, <laughs> transitioning from serving so many years in the military, but then how do we, how do we become like normal? Is it, is there even a normal? So Christine, can you talk to us a little bit about your, your process? I mean, how did you do it after 32 years? How did you just come out and go, okay, I'm not, you know, what do I do now? Or who am I? That's funny. Cause I think <laughs> I'm still figuring it out after a year or so. I know me, but it's, me too. <laughs> it's resonate, yeah. I resonate with everyone else's story. Um, met my ex in the military we did that for a while um, I got to witness him retire well before me and I got to watch him struggle through that transition it's hard when you are going a thousand miles an hour you know every day of the year 
to like a screeching halt and not having a mission or a purpose is what I call it. Um, and it's hard on a marriage because you you want to help them. You don't know how to help them because you are also serving. You're still running the house, raising the kids and maintaining that balance that looks so easy to the outside world. And I then transitioned a couple years after him, initially leaving active duty, going into the reserve side of the house. And that was a struggle. Um, so that was my first initial taste of it myself. But I didn't separate from the military, which made it a little easier because I was still serving one week in a month, twice, twice, you know, two weeks out of the year. Um, but I struggled because I was now thrown into this stay at home mom mode that just did not resonate with me at all. I love my kids, but I didn't, it, it wasn't fulfilling enough, believe it or not. I was used to going a thousand miles an hour. And now I was cleaning that every day from top to bottom while they were at school twiddling my thumbs. So fast forward many, many years. Um, when I finally decided to retire, um, I fully understood what people meant by, you kind of just know when you know. Stepped out, transitioned. I left last summer officially, super excited because I was like, okay, it's done. I'm gonna start my own thing. Wasn't quite sure what that thing was gonna be because I didn't want a boss. It didn't remind me until I shared a 45 minute story with a complete stranger who asked me if he could interview me. Um, the power of our story is so important to the world. I left thinking, okay, I have nothing to give to the world. I didn't even really, people really didn't even know I served. That's how much I kept it compartmentalized from the outside world. Um, and that goes back to crazy marriage stuff, but we're not gonna digress here. We don't have like several hours. <laughs> um, it, it's, it is tough. Um, but when I realized the importance of that story, and then when I realized that the military brings you in, whether it's officer basic or basic training, they tear you down and they build you into what they want you to be. When you leave the service, they give you 10 pounds of information in a five pound bag and say, thank you for your service. They don't teach you how to reframe your mind, that mindset piece, that it's okay to give yourself that permission to think on your own now, um, to share your opinions and not feel like you're gonna be punished or beat up. Um, so many things there that we aren't given when we transition out and it makes it hard. You know, how do you connect with, like my neighbors here in the neighborhood, how do I connect with them when they never served? They don't even know what I went through. So it goes back to that trust issue, number one. I think that's where part of our challenge is. Um, we're so used to a team, we're so used to being taught, here's the information, make it happen if the only one left. Well, we're now the only one left when we get out. What do we do? So it just kind of hit me hard that there's nothing really in place to do that. And I'm talking mindset. This is totally different than resilience and training that they do for that. That's how we get through those challenges. Um, this is teaching us how to rethink and how to how to be ourselves, to find ourselves again. So yeah, transitioning is, it's a bear. Um, and it's never gonna be an easy process because we're all individual, unique um, people. So some handle it better than others, and some are just, they just don't know what to do or where to go, so. And we're horrible at sharing our stories. We're horrible at asking people for help and saying, hey, this is what I did for so long, you know? And I think that's why we resonate and click so well together as veterans, because we kind of get it. So now we need to be there 
to help everybody else coming out. We've, we've got to be the mentor, the guides, the leads, because it's time. There's more of us coming out and not enough people know about it. Right. Gosh, yes. Thank you so much for sharing that. I know it's, uh, I, I laugh because I, you know, it's been five years since I retired, but I'm still trying to figure out what I want to be when I grow up too. So I'm like, I don't know. I don't know. So thank you so much. Now, Mr. Ralph, I love that you're here because we heard all the female perspective, but not a lot of us hear the male perspective of coming out because, and I see it in my husband, so I'm not trying to pick on you. I see him, he served, it's been 27 years already, and he's already afraid of, I don't know what to do when I get out. And he's such that army guy, he's so strong and I'm so emotional and sappy and I'm just, I have all the feelings that he doesn't show. So. How have you been able to come out and share your story and not feel, um, don't see the, the emotions from, from men as much as we would like to? So how, how have you done it? Uh, so I think it's a facade that a lot of men have from the military. You know, you have to be as machismo, macho, not show your feelings um, in private. Uh, we do, <laughs> so we, we don't show it to our spouses or anything. But yeah, it, it's it's tough. It, you know, um, I've I've struggled coming straight out of active duty, active duty going into reserves because I didn't have a career. Uh, I I came out. I was caught in the force reshaping in the Air Force, and I still wanted to serve. So it, it really hurt because that wasn't my plan. Uh, I had to drive uh, cars for eight dollars an hour for Avis and budget. And it took me six months to finally find a Nando defense contracting position at that time, uh, which I did for seven years. But the the emotional part of it, it, it's there. We just don't show it to our spouses for some reason. Um, but when we're amongst ourselves as males, uh, we, we absolutely talk about our issues, um, how we handle things because sometimes we feel like maybe, especially when your spouse is not military, right? Maybe you don't understand what you went through because all they see is, oh, you got a phone call again. You got to go. I'm like, yeah, sorry. You know, they don't understand that there's that, that um, last minute uh, TDY, uh, TAV or deployment. Um, I've been called the day before and say, hey, uh, Ave, we need you tomorrow you'd be gone for about a couple of weeks and nothing was planned. Uh, I couldn't, and this was even reserves, just the reserves, not even active duty. So it, yeah, it's like I said, it, it's, it's there emotionally. We just hide it. I think that's why a lot of guys explode because mm -hmm. they keep it in too much um, instead of sharing with a spouse. And, and again, if you have a spouse that's not military, sometimes they don't understand what you go through. Like, uh, I hear some some of my friends like, yeah, my my uh, my wife don't understand about me going through this PTSD thing or you know this mental uh, struggle because they've never gone through it. They've never gone through the struggle. Um, <clears throat> just putting you in situations where, okay, people tell you uh, we don't know you're going home, and you're like, what do you mean? <laughs> you know. So they, they've never been through that. And 
it's hard to explain that to them and they just don't see it so that's just the male my my personal view of because i do work with veterans uh in my civilian uh, job uh navy retired navy and a veteran marine veteran so we all talk wow. about our issues no, I, I appreciate you sharing that. I know it. I know it's difficult. I, I've, I mean, I'm just now starting to see more men talk about it and share their story. But it's taken, you know, 20 plus years for that to happen. So, what, what do you hope to see um, in the years to come as as change for that? I, I mean, I know my transition process was terrible, and I wish there was something else that would have happened but what do you foresee what 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 change do you want to see in the years to come coming out of the the military uh, just for the the males to not feel as machismo but they can still have their manhood you know um let them feel free hopefully the, they can have like a training for non-military spouses telling them hey they went through these things and you know so you Maybe you don't understand uh, what they went through, but just be there for them. Sometimes you just gotta listen, and that's when they'll speak out. But when you just ignore them and just refuse to uh, try to understand what the husbands go through, um, you know that then then that's that's where it hurts because you, you feel like you did something for your country, but then your family feels like. They took me. They took you away from me for all those years. You know. So, uh, yeah. yeah, I hope they have some kind of spousal training for the non-military uh, spouses to to help uh, transition through when they either uh, get out or retire. Right. No, I yeah, I absolutely agree with you on that. I think that's absolutely it's so needed. And and you're right. It's it's hard. It's like we just need to bridge the gap between military and civilians so that they can understand each other and and help us to come out of this um trying to figure out life. So thank you so much for sharing that. Um let's see. So I wanna open it up. Uh, to anyone who can who wants to really talk about uh, here's one of the questions what should families do to come out stronger do you have some tips that you could provide to us on the things that you have learned now um, with a little bit of time since we've been out what what tips could you share anybody well, can, can I start um, sure. I, <laughs> I would say plan well ahead don't wait till the very end um, mm. we still have Oh goodness, probably at least eight years left. Um, and I think my husband's gonna stay in until the army makes him leave uh, because he absolutely loves it. So we we know that there's an end to this. Um, and I think sometimes everybody waits till the last minute to try and figure everything out and you have to plan ahead of time. So we know pretty much where we're gonna retire or at least the area. We've already started looking at land. Um, we've already started investing in buying houses so that we have you know, income from the rental properties. Um, think ahead, don't wait to the last minute. I mean, we know we're gonna end up with a farm. Um, just don't wait to the last minute to try and decide that, you know, hey, we're getting out and we should probably figure something out um, because we already know the transition is gonna be hard. We already know it's gonna be hard on our soldiers. Um, so, you know, as a spouse, for me personally, I wanna make sure that when he gets out, 
it's going to be as easy as possible. Um, and we know that he's going to need something to do because there is that instant wall downtime. Like you're just going, 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 and you stop. So for us personally, and I know this isn't for everybody, but having a farm means we still have to get up the next morning and we still have animals to take care of and, and we still have things to do. So thinking ahead and knowing that there's an end to this life, but it's not the end of life. What can we do to, to make that as easy as possible? Um, and so that would be my best advice for anybody is just don't wait till the very last minute to try and figure out what you're gonna do. You're right. Thank you so much for sharing. Who else I'd love has? to piggyback off that. Um, yeah. And I think just one thing I wanna share um, as we're talking and for viewers who are not part of this military life or don't have you know, family that are veterans or can relate to it, you hear us talking about transition and maybe wondering like why we're spending so much time on this topic or like why it's so hard. Um, I'd love to just share, you know, one concept that people maybe not don't see is, you know, when you take the time and you make the oath to enlist in the service, um, from the moment you raise your hand up and you swear in to the, you know, the time you serve, you are always learning. You are being trained up in every which way and form you go through basic training, which depending on what branch could be anywhere between two months to like six months. Then you're going through your rate training. So whatever MOS or rating that you decide, you're being trained up to do that job well. Every time you advance, you're being trained for that position. So from the moment you raise your hand and all throughout your career, however long you're deciding to stay, you're being trained to do it and to do it well. But where we lack is in that transition. Um, you know, we go through two days, maybe three, of how to now transition out. So when you go through 20 years of being like this great, amazing training to three days of, okay, this is how to be a civilian again, it's not enough. It is not enough at all. It's like having a fire hose just like put down yet. Um, and you're left with so many questions. You're left like a deer in the headlights because you're thinking of things that you didn't think you were needing to think about. Um, and so it's highly overwhelming. Um, and you know, as Ralph highlighted, like there's just, there's also some gaps that are just, they're missing. Um, and I love that concept that you shared Ralph about you know, having spouses come in and go through that transition training together so we can start having that. And that would probably be my biggest thing. And it sounds so cliche, but it's communicating um, because we can sit here and communicate with each other as the members because we get it. But until we start having those conversations at home, which or we already know marriage conversations are sometimes very hard. Um, but like if we can just start having those conversations because that was one of the biggest things. Like as I was already seeing my way out, my husband was deploying. There was one deployment that he was going on and I always loved being on the pier to see him off. You know, I wanted to be there until I couldn't see the ship anymore. And I loved having my kids to be there. And he got to a point, he's like, well, I'll just say my goodbyes in the morning. And, you know, we're sitting here thinking we, we marry military because we get it. Well, I had what I wanted. And he, one day he told me, he's like, I don't want you on the pier. And I like almost lost it. I got mad. I was like, what do you mean? Like, we have to be on the pier. We have to see you off. He's like, I don't want you there. And I was like, well, why? He's like, because it is so dang hard to be there and see you waving and I can't come home. He's like, you guys get to go back home and I'm not. And he's like, it is hard. 
And he's like, it is easier for me to leave you in this place that I have my happy memories or I kiss you on your head while you're still in my bed. He's like, rather than seeing you on the pier and I can't be there. And that for me, like blew me away. And I was like, okay, we need to have these conversations all the time because truly as the military veteran married to another military member, I didn't get it as much as I thought I did. So I think in these transitions, it's really about having those conversations. It's including our spouses to understand like, this is gonna hurt a little bit, but if you're willing to bear that hurt with me, like we can get through this. Um, so for me, like that would be my biggest piece of advice is start having those conversations as Tara is saying as early as possible. Start talking about some of those preparations that need to be made. Like what are we gonna do for housing? What are we gonna do for insurance? What are we going to do for the things that, you know, maybe you took for granted for a little while that are now gonna be in your face that much more. Thank you so much for that. I was tearing up already um, because we don't, we don't understand sometimes. I personally have, have to have had to have the conversation with my spouse because I didn't, I didn't understand. I'm like, why, why? I mean, we should, it should be easy. It should, it's not, it is not. They are trying to tell you in their own way why, but we're like, you need to tell me everything now, but that's their way, <laughs> right? <laughs> and so I finally, you know, when he finally told me, I was like, oh shoot, like I didn't, I'm sorry. I had to, I'm sorry for not realizing that that was the way you expressed it. So yeah, it's, it's so, it's so hard. So thank you for that. Anything else? And Annette, I want to add to that real fast is there's so many military related organizations out there. And so for me, because I'm already out, I mean, I'm still in it because of my husband being in it, but I have found it's, it's helpful to go back and help out these other organizations because then you're still in that community. I never believe that we're going to be, you know, in an area where there's no military around us. Like we're going to, we're retiring near a VA. Um, we're going to stay within that community. Um, my family's having a hard time with that because we are choosing not to go back home where there's no military installation. Um, but it's, we are going to always be comfortable in this community because this is what we've spent, you know, 20 some years in or more. I mean, by the time he gets out, I have been in the military community then for over 30 years. I cannot imagine getting away from it. So we've already started working with organizations like TAP. And I know Dr. Moby said that he was working with Wounded Warriors. I mean, there's all these programs out there. So even though we're not in the military, we're still gonna stay in that community because that's where we're comfortable. That's where we feel safe. Um, and so when you get out, part of that transitioning isn't that you have to run back home and be away from all of the, the individuals in the community that you know, like it's okay. And, and this is something that nobody wants to talk about either. It's okay to stay where you wanna stay. You don't have to run back to where you grew up. Um, and that was a big, that was a big decision for us. But when, when we finally decided, you know, this is, we're retiring near this community and that's where it's gonna be. Um, it has been just like a huge weight lifted off because now we know we're gonna stay in, in our community no matter what. That's so important. And I love that you mentioned TAPS. I You got me to volunteer with TAPS, Tragedy Assistant Program for uh, Children Survivors. Oh man, you want to talk about something that's eye-opening. Go go look at that and see um, another way to give back to children who don't understand, who lost members, you know, family members to, to the military. So yeah, definitely do that. Uh, Annette, I think Dr. Moby wants to speak. 
Yes, Dr. Moby, I'm so sorry. Oh, no, 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 that's okay. Thank you. Thank you for, and uh, Tara and everyone for sharing. You know, th this is very important thing is now I had a unique opportunity to work for VA too. I've been working with VA, uh, I think I worked more than 13 years. Um, and uh, with, of course, uh, US Army, my spouse is also with Army, um, you know, physicians, of course. But, uh, you know, it's very unique uh, when Tara said that uh, you know, I, I now realize I need to take physical for my physical health, and that is uh, important. Um, one thing I realized there was that uh, physical health uh, was really uh, not the best. Uh, so when you have 20 years of service and you're expecting, you know, golden years to come during retirement, so please have the golden years as really golden years not spending in the hospital or you know with a lot of uh, things going around so one thing was very important was your diet and uh, you know better eating uh, i think she does wonderful with she has her own farm and everything which is excellent but i think a lot of people they don't pay attention especially minorities so my passion with puri warrior uh, beside that was that trying to work on their lifestyle and I uh, actually wrote my first book, uh, Keep It Simple, Diet, Sleep and Exercise, while there. And uh, the whole idea started because I used to give them pamphlets and then they say, oh, what, why don't you put it in a book? And I say, yep, that sounds good. And I had great success. I think they lost what, uh, you know, average of 40, 50 pounds. And they felt really well you know uh, their knees were better and then also other important was asleep you know uh, they are very good by the way with exercise so that's excellent but they really don't realize that basic part is better eating and sleeping better uh, so mm, a lot of commanders i used to have argument uh, they i don't know for some reason they get into this uh, idea that for sleep problem or other they are either lazy or something like that on those lines you know or they can skip uh, the morning routine and or and or they should not and i say what does it you know you have to pay attention you are not a sleep doctor okay i am i can tell you that you have they are under treatment and then treatment plan calls for a time out you have to give them time to heal okay you cannot force your rules right now you should not punish them okay so i i was very blunt so and then because i was physician i could get away by saying that but i don't know a lot of uh, you know folks might not be uh, so I said, no, you need to give them, uh, respect them. Please do not ever tell them uh, that or say. Uh, there are also the other thing is the medicine part is the army medicine and VA medicine. Now I have served both. So and also I'm with private uh, sectors. So there's a big difference between private medicine as well as so. Um, always, uh, my advice is always get also check with the private too because um, you know there are some resources not available at the VA as well as your DOD. For some reason, they have little different standard uh, in terms of uh, the care. 
uh, than the private tower um, and the reason is uh, very simple because they believe in uh, just actually uh, looking from disability perspective so uh, you know but you know you could be having a lot of the problems uh, so uh, you know when I was at the VA I can tell you the sickest patient the sickest patient were in VA okay and then which means they really needed a lot of care okay um, and this is sad then you know we don't have a lot of resources there but you know we would take care and I remember when in VA I was in the emergency room and we have a lot of veterans come at night and uh, they would say I, I will commit suicide as they why would you do that I didn't eat anything all day that I would tell my nurse uh, give them food okay. that you can do that here as I understand but you don't want to have whole night bed here or psych unit uh, and involve all that because you we cannot feed them okay give them whatever it, that's fine just write it on me that's fine you know we would do that but you know in the morning they'll go away and they'll find no doctor i'm fine i didn't eat anything this is sad these are the sad uh, stories um, which are which could be handled better way i wish there was better way to handle them uh, you know but you know not everybody would be in line what i think or should be done but i think th this is a reality that is setting in um, and a lot of, uh, you know, they have other reasons for their mental health, like Tara said, you know, she's trying to juggle so many things, or like Nicole said, she's trying to have a balance between her, you know, personal life and uh, life uh, of being the military spouse. Ralph uh, also touched on the same thing. For men, I would say the commanders are uh, amazing, amazing job to do, but take care of yourself and way back, uh, way back than 20 years, okay? So talking about, you know, every year you should, it's good to be appear tough and it's good to be tough and all that good things we do. But, you know, if you don't have inner strength, I don't know how well you will be off. So, uh, and there is no shame in admitting, you know, beside your position. Uh, or even so I think that is true I think the culture has to change a little bit also the medicine the realization emphasis on lifestyle better sleep not just exercise better uh, you know so that those will some of things which I would like to share thank you so much for that so many important things to think about absolutely Well, Miss Vicky, oh, we heard from everybody. I think so many, um, so many amazing things that I've not a, a lot. Yes. Oh, yes. I've got a question. Uh, yes. For Christine. Christine. Yes. Yes, I'm here. Um, you know, I just want to thank you for your service of 32 years and you just completed your service uh, one year ago. Um, you talked about something that's very intriguing in my mind. You talked 
talked about when you went into the military, they break you down and then they build you up. My question, I think, um, probably is a reflection of people in the outside world. Um, I always think there must be some form of ideology imputed into your mind when they build you up. Um, now when all of you sit back and reflect, were you put through kind of ideology and to be trained in a certain way, to think in a certain way? Um, if, if you know what I'm trying to say, because you are put in this huge system and, and I think Christine wanted to touch on that. Um, Christine, am I right? Um, just a little bit. I, I guess it's a thought I just had in the last week or two on the whole breaking us down and building us back up um, or shaping us into who they feel we should be. And I guess why I say that is because when you when you serve, regardless of which branch it is, um, you have to be able and willing to follow orders regardless of sort of what you think of them to a point. Um, and that's what I mean by breaking us down. They will break us mentally to a point. Um, it's nothing horrible. They just like to push you to your limits um, and see how well you cope under lack of sleep and being physically active all the time. And, you know, those that can't do it, can't make the cut, you know, they, they send them home and that's okay. So, but that process is always there. There is a chain of command you're taught to follow the chain of command, meaning the higher ranking officers and enlisted, um, you do what they say. And then as you work up those ranks, you're taught how to also lead from those positions and teach those behind you. So it's just a repetitive process, I guess is what I'm getting at. But, but as a result, the longer you live in that environment, um, it's this is way different than somebody who just did four or six years and leaves. You know, they've not been fully, I guess, indoctrinated would be the word. Does that sound right, Annette? Um, the longer you're in, it's like the the deeper the hole you sit in with this. Um, it's all you know. You live. You breathe it. And when they place you out of this hole and into the civilian sector, and say thank you for your service, it's just like okay, now what do I do? You know, I mean, who's going to tell me what to do, where to be, at what time, what to wear? That's basically the mindset we're put into a point. And that's why I think it's so crucial um, of, you know, it kind of goes back with what Ralph said is we have got to bring people in when we start the transition process. And for a lot of us, that window starts a year out from when we actually get out of service. And you're thinking, well, a year's plenty of time. It's not. We all sit through a five-day class that we have to sit through by law. We're still working the rest of the time because our units, our commands, they don't want to give us that time sometimes to actually go and take care of ourselves and get things set up and in place to help with a smoother transition. And of course, when you're just thrown out, you, um, you just don't know what to do sometimes. Um, you, you just don't. I mean, even the best of us who know it's coming and we've seen people go through it and struggle with it, it's different when you actually go through it. And everybody's going to have a, a different experience that way. And I think Ralph is right. We need to get in front of them in that one-year window and, and with people and teach them um, how to just be themselves again. They're rediscovering who they are. I mean, I spent three quarters of my adult life working for somebody and being what they wanted me to be.
I'm not even sure who Christine is at the moment because I signed up when I was 20 years old. You know, at 53, I'm like, who am I? So it's a huge self-discovery the longer you serve. And I think people need to understand it's okay to go through that growth, to understand, you know, who you are, what you want to do. You do not have to live in a box, I call it, um, where we're expected when we get out to either go as GS route for employment or the contract route. That's kind of like just the track everybody goes because they think they're expected to go that route because of that training, conditioning. You don't have to. Um, don't stand in the box, be on top of the box. And it's okay to step off that box and define what you truly are passionate about and want to do. Tara's having a blast with a farm, you know? And the more she does it, the, you know, just, I'm sure her purpose in life is just, you know, really compounding and focusing in on what she wants to do, what makes her happy. So it's, yeah, that's, that's what I was kind of getting at. It's transition is a long process. It's not one and done. Like I said, I've been at this for over a year and that's still working through hers. I'm sure we're all still working through something um, because personal development and growth that way is an everyday process. So I hope that answered your question. Yes. And now from a viewer's point of view, you know, I, I'm mm -hmm. seeing many facets of a veteran, um, like Dr. Mobius um, is saying, that's the real thing that he sees because he's looking at things behind the scenes. People are coming in on a suicidal mode, people coming in with um, you know, physical um, disability or health uh, disabilities and also mental. Um, I have got a few, I've got so many questions as everyone is speaking um, from, a, from a viewer's point of view. Um, I'd like to throw a couple of questions. Um, when I see um, on YouTube, the internet, on, on CNN channels, on Fox News, all these news that, you know, the, there is this hero worship uh, culture in America about the veterans. Um, I'd like to hear from your point of view, does this add um, anything positive to you or does it make it harder for you because it's harder it could be harder because you couldn't explain i do have my real life i'm not that tom cruise or the demi more there you see on hollywood so i, I want to ask this is real um on both sides on the continuum um how does it feel to have this worship culture of veterans um and the other side um you are thinking i'm real i need to pay my bills i need to put food on the table hello now do anybody know that uh, i'm struggling and really listen to my needs i'm looking at two sides of it um and, and a lot of questions i like to throw to the floor i will definitely speak to that um and I speak to that because it came up for me even as a military member when I first received my diagnosis of PTSD. Um, because you're right, like you see so many different glorified versions of what military looks like, what veterans look like, um, and it's war heroes, and it's all of these different things, and it's hard. And so I remember like for myself and personally and how I can resonate with what you're sharing, what you're asking is when um, I started struggling with my mental health, I had anxiety and depression really, really bad. Um, I struggled with suicidal ideation for a while during my time in the military um, to the point that I burned out and I wound up being hospitalized because of it. 
delivery. Um, and it was hard. And I remember sitting with the doctor and them telling me at that time, like being diagnosed with PTSD. And I was like, well, that's not, that's not possible. I've never been at war. And they're like, Nicole, like you realize you don't have to go to war to have PTSD. But even as a military member, I still, because of what was portrayed to me socially, what was portrayed to me, you know, in, in TV and everything is that it's always those that are coming back from war, everybody that has seen very traumatic events or things like that. Um, and so I even associated it with having to be in that form of an environment. And it took a lot for me to step back and realize, okay, PTSD, and I have a very good friend that I've met in my journey of sharing my own story. And the way that he actually um, frames PTSD is rather than post-traumatic stress disorder, he calls it processing traumatic stress differently. And I love, love, love that because it's so true is that, that it no longer has to be specific to military or specific to a veteran, um, that anybody can receive that diagnosis. And so for me, like that very much resonated with what you were sharing is because even I had a hero mentality that like I couldn't bear that diagnosis because I didn't go to war and I didn't serve and I didn't have those experiences that my fellow military brothers and sisters did. So I didn't even feel like I had the honor of having that diagnosis. Like I felt like that was not reserved for me. Um, so I totally understand that. And there are some times, you know, like even at Veterans Day parades and things like that. And, you know, I see, older generations and they're walking with their world war one hat to like even to me i'm like that's my hero like that's who i feel like i should be giving credit to and i often feel awkward when somebody's like well, well thank you for your service um and then my husband this year even had an experience where a gentleman came up to him and was like oh you, you know i can tell by the haircut you're prior military and he's like oh well thank you for your service he's like well my wife too and the guy kept walking um, you know, so there's still just very much, you know, these different views of what our heroes are. Some still don't see women as those heroes and those service members, um, or we have like a, just a very different caliber. So I'm, I'm appreciative that you brought that up, Vicki, because it really is um, a focal point, even for us in the military sometimes that we can struggle with is recognizing that we're a veteran. I mean, I've talked with members who have served for four years and they won't go to the VA because they don't feel they qualify. You know, they don't see themselves as a veteran. They don't feel like they've earned it because they've only done four or six years. Um, so it is it is an issue that we need to kind of address and really look into as well. Um, I've got another question um, just to throw on the floor. Um, probably sensitive, but I, it's something that Annette and I have talked about in, in her uh, masterclass um, series. Um, family um, tell the audience um, probably about one of your family member specifically that struggled with it um, that that they are the ones also sacrificing in this whole process and I think the world needs to know um, because military families or military uh, veterans they sacrifice their families mother father children their lives i mean it's a whole package um anybody can specifically uh, pinpoint an example of a person in their family and then tell us about that anyone 
Ralph, Mr. Ralph? Yeah, um, so I'd say my mother, because she didn't want, you know, I was born in a single parent home. So since I was nine years old, not born, but uh, my father passed away when I was nine years old. So we've been together, we moved uh, here and there because, you know, she, Hawaii uh, being just a two person family and she didn't have a really steady job. She worked at drag cleaners in a restaurant. So we were together almost till I was 21 years old. And uh, when I decided to join the military, she, she just was shocked. I didn't tell her I was gonna go to boot camp until two weeks out because I knew how she would react, right? And then <clears throat> there was these struggles where she's like, oh, if you deploy, uh, tell them no. I'm like, mom, it don't work that way. You know, we, uh, th this is what we signed up for. And I'm the one child. So all those rules back then, no, they don't, they don't count no more <clears throat> for being an only child. And uh, when I was deployed, I heard like a couple years later that my mom was crying every day and I didn't know that. So I guess it, it affects, cause I, I, you know, I'm a mama's boy. I know <laughs> I'm gonna admit that, but uh, yeah, it's just, just my mom. I know she was really affected by it, but once I, she saw the accomplishments I did uh, wherever I reached, and I was so blessed to have her at each of my promotions, even if I was uh, living away from her. You know, I was so blessed to have her there to uh, experience what I accomplished. So, yeah, it's for me, it's it's my mom. Um, anyone else? Dr. Yeah, yeah. The other thing I would like to emphasize how the VA system is, or um, you know, they uh, actually. Uh, I think with uh, this, nothing about presidents, but I think during President Clinton's term, they changed the rules. Uh, they try to save money by stripping away some of those, uh, you know, your advocates, and they were before that when you transition they would sit and kind of go over your health and help you navigate through that so they took away i think they saved but um, a lot of money by doing that so the bottom line is they if you don't tell them or if you don't connect those dots they're not gonna listen to it so uh, you know if you had uh, sleep problems and then like she said uh, ptsd uh, could be there without deployment. So, you know, so if you did not connect or you didn't think it was relevant and you did not mention it, um, they would not assign anything to you. So this is sad because like Christine said, you don't know after so many years, is this real Christine or is this what changes have happened over the years? Uh, so pay attention to those. If you had symptoms of or if you have changed your personality, if you have anything which you might uh, think uh, in terms of that, no, it is good to tough it out, please don't do that. Just mention that, you know, and you have, it's okay to mention and then the doctor go over that because then you won't get rated, you won't get even any benefit for it. And later on years, you might have whole medical bills sitting for you uh, beside your, you know, uh, other problems. Uh, so my advice, please pay attention to forms. I wish there was a better system. 
I wish they had more advocates to help you navigate through this. Uh, but I know they are going to cost cutting things. So the, this is sad, but this is how it is, reality. Um, thanks, Dr. Moby. Before I come back to Annette, is there anyone who would like to answer the question about your personal or family member? Just to highlight and let us, the audience, know um, how the veteran family member do um, go through these um, challenges that you go through as, as, as a military personnel. You are signing up the whole family, actually. <laughs> Hey Vicky, I'll talk on that. I have I have three children. I have my older son who we talked about just commissioned. My youngest daughter lives with me, but I have a middle son. Um, and I know Nicole has talked about what it does to the, the kids when you're in the military. And, you know, I could tell you all about how, you know, my grandmother, my mom, my family feels, but it affects your children too. Um, and we have found that his thought process is so on the other side of being in the military. Um, that, that has actually created a huge, uh, we'll get personal, a real big block between the way we handle things and the way he wants to be. So he doesn't come over, he doesn't visit, um, he doesn't want to be around my, my husband now because he is just so non-military. Um, and so we don't ever really talk about what this does to our children and how it affects them and what their thought process is in life as they move forward because it's very hard for some children to understand um, the control that the military has um, or the lack of control that the soldier has being active duty um, and that you know my husband isn't being mean or aggressive or rude or obnoxious or all of the things that my, my son has in his head um, and so it's hard for our children to accept that you know, this this man is in my life, and and he is this big soldier, and he's very dominant, very male, and very you know in his face. Just because that's the military has made him that way, and and that is not that he's trying to be you know that mean aggressive person. And so we have seen, and we're constantly struggling with this battle. Um, and he's he's older, he's out of the house, he's able to make his own decisions. Um, and that has been a challenge and that will continue to be a challenge, I think, as long as my husband's in the military. And now my older son's in it. So, you know, there's this instant connect between my older son and my husband because they're both military. They're gonna get it, right? We're in that same community. But my middle son, because he has chosen not to go into the military, we're going to consistently have that challenge and that battle um, and so I think we need to talk about that as well as we move on is you know how do we how do we make our children understand that this lifestyle is the way it is because that's just how it is um, and that there's really no control on our end that, that's just you know we have to kind of flow with it we have to have grace we have to have patience we have to have understanding um, and so that's it's been a constant challenge and it'll be that way for I think quite a few more years Thank you, um, Tara. Is there anyone else who'd like to talk about a specific family? Uh, I was just okay. going to share it too. Um, sorry, Ned. Um, and I'll just make it really quick. But we also had an experience with our son, and ours was with our oldest. Um, and it was while we were stationed in Houston. And I'll be honest, like Houston was probably the hardest time for me when I was in the military. It was when everything came down and I got my diagnosis. It's when I was hospitalized. Um, but it was my oldest son and at the time he was right around eight years old and we were having um, experiences with him where he was having trouble with school 
Um, we were also having problems at home where like he was acting out um, and just kind of being a little bit aggressive and unruly. And, you know, in those moments, we, as parents, we don't really kind of look behind the lines and, you know, so we would, you know, react the way that we thought that we needed to and respond in certain ways. Well, then it started turning up um, and becoming stomach issues. He would, he would refuse to eat at dinner or he would take a few bites at dinner and then say that his stomach hurt would hurt and then he'd go spend like 10, 20 minutes in the bathroom. Um, so then it got to the point where we'd be like, okay, well you make what you want to eat. Do you want a peanut butter jelly sandwich? You know, so because we, we were trying to feed into that. Long story short, um, I almost had to start threatening him, like, if you don't eat because, you know, you need to eat, you need to take care of yourself, then I'm going to have to take you to the doctor. And we wound up having to take him to the doctor, and he was actually diagnosed with IBS, and which is irritable bowel syndrome. And um, at that time, like, as a parent, you know, we always want to learn everything about it. So I was researching everything I could about IBS and what, you know, where it came from, how it started, how I could treat it. and light bulb went off when I found that one of the causes of irritable bowel syndrome is um, unresolved emotional trauma or unresolved emotional stress and it raised all those flags back to when he was acting out when he was having trouble with school and things like that and I was like oh my gosh like there's something else going on and when we finally started having those conversations with him he was having a hard time because he wasn't finding the balance of me being on night shifts, his dad being, you know, deployed, there is like this lack of security for him and he was having a hard time with that. And so it was because of that military's time, it was because of that military service and that was the biggest eye opener for me outside of what I shared earlier about wanting to get my kids birthday parties and things like that. That was the sacrifice. His health was being sacrificed because of our service, because of the lack of stability of having both parents there at the time not being able to trust who was the disciplinarian, who was going to be there to feed me, who was going to be there to tuck me in because it was constantly changing in our home to make our, our military life work. Um, so for us, that was really the biggest time and the, the person that really stood out to me was our son and when he started struggling with mental or like with medical issues because of our decision. Um, Annette, you were trying to say something? Oh, no, I, I was just, gosh, it's always hard to talk about my, my, yeah. So I'm glad that we talked about our children because that no one ever really knows what goes on within the family. They think, oh, it's so exciting. You keep moving. They make new friends. My son was one of the ones that had the most difficult time from the age of 13 up until just, uh, until he was about 16, 17 years old. And he's always been um we thought that everything was fine you know we keep moving we keep hyping up all the places that we go to and you're going to make new friends and new school but my kids have always been to small schools because everywhere we went there was always just a small town that we lived in and he when we went to when we moved to virginia it was just, just the school was like five times bigger than where he's ever been before and uh, he'll be okay you know he'll do, he'll adjust we're in a military community um this is where we we really found out that he was suffering um from depression and it was very difficult because i thought that because i 
suffer from depression, I should have been able to see the signs. I should have known what he was going through. We communicate in our family. They, our kids tell us things I should have known, but in fact, I didn't. And he really, really had um, a major episode and um, it broke my heart because we, my son or my husband is so, um, he's so military. And so my son felt like he couldn't really express his feelings because he didn't want to disappoint his dad. He didn't want to seem as a failure. And it broke my heart. You know, it, it really just, it, it killed me because um, my son was hiding things for so many years that he didn't know how to explain. And so he exploded. And his, sometimes his answers to the stress was completely shutting down or running away that's a whole other episode and a whole other show but that's what we have dealt with and it was really really hard um because i, I thought i should have seen the signs and my my husband felt to instill all these um instill the the hard the discipline and, and, and the mindset and we try to do all these things for our kids but every kid's different every situation's different and um yeah it was just uh it, it was just very hard to see our children go through those things because we thought we were doing the best that we could so um you know he's better now but it's, it's, you know, that's just his mentality. I don't want to fail you. I don't want to fail dad because dad is so tough and he's a role model in the family. And um, yeah, so that that was mine. <laughs> yeah, thanks. Uh, thank you, Nicole and Annette. Uh, let's go to Christine and then I'll come back to um, Annette um, for sharing the, the whole uh, event. Um, Christine, do you have someone that you would like to um, share if it's if it's non-confidential. Something I'd like to share in reference to. Um, is there someone that you would like to talk about who really find it challenging um, throughout these years? I, I don't have anything specific um, in that regards, but you know I can caveat on what Annette and the others have shared with just our children. Um, I have three adult daughters, 27, 25, and almost 23. Um, I worked very hard when I served to not move them as much as possible. Um, and what that meant for me was not necessarily state to state, but I moved them around a lot inside the state, um, you know, every couple of years. That's just how it, how it is. Um, I think the hardest part for them and, and for us as parents is we, we want to protect them. Um, when we sign up to serve in the uniform in the military, it's it's a calling for us. Um, it's no different than those that want to be nurses, doctors, firefighters, policemen, and you know, and we're we're very humble about it, and we try to express that to our children. You know, we try to show them that what we're doing is important, um, but at the same time, we try to teach them how to be tough like us as well. Um, maybe not to the full extent like we have been put through, um, but we do try to teach them, you know, how to be, how to be tough, how to be resilient, um, you know, how to make those adult decisions before they leave the house kind of thing. So they're not out there on their own. And I think the hardest part for me was when I was going through my divorce. Um, my oldest at the time was 16. Um, it, the marriage just was not working out. And I think my middle one took it the hardest. Um, she took it the hardest because she was daddy's girl. 
And I really watched her kind of struggle with that for a couple of years. And I thought, I thought it was just Jessica. I just thought, okay, this is just her, this is her personality. Um, but I see traces of it today and she's 25, you know, and what's even harder is she married into the Navy, nothing wrong with the Navy. Um, but now she's taken on that, you know, spousal role. And while she sees and understands a bit of it from being a child raised in that environment, um, it's been an eye opener for her um, to see it from the spouse point of view now. And we still try to, to coach and mentor them to a point. And it breaks our heart when we watch our son-in-laws struggle with, with mental health issues. Um, that's probably the hardest thing. So just to interject, I think Dr. Mm -hmm. Roby has got a call. He's almost with uh, you all. Okay. <laughs> He's got to go. And I think we all got to respect that. He's a frontline doctor. Um, I think let's have Dr. say a couple of words and thank him for his service to be in the front line, to be protecting all of us. Um, Dr. Moby, thank you. Would you like to say a couple of words before um, saying farewell? Well, thank you, Vicky, for having me, Annette. Uh, it's been always wonderful. And Ralph, I've known you also. And I listened uh, to Nicole's uh, two-minute uh, video. I think that was Nicole, right? Beautiful, beautiful work. And Christine, it was pleasure knowing you. And, uh, you know, great message. Uh, you know, I think uh, you all uh, rock and Tara, amazing. I know how you made uh, all that, you know, farm and everything. Amazing work you're doing. So, uh, but keep, uh, you know, my advice to all of you is uh, same, you know, take care of your lifestyle, take care of your health. It comes first physical as well as mental. Uh, remember, it's very easy to do that. Um, you know, it looks very difficult that, you know, sound is difficult, I shouldn't say difficult, but sound is difficult that that's another task you have to take care. But many times if you fix that, that solves a lot of problems. Um, you know, uh, you know, like uh, uh, Nicole shared that irritable bowel syndrome, so it was depression or... So if we fix some of those, there are a lot of... Uh, your life will become easier. And so, but better sleeping, better eating, all is important. So make sure, uh, you know, take care and keep serving. I guess you are all our heroes and will always will be, but I think we uh, take even hero needs, uh, you know, maintenance and treatment, and <laughs> there's no shame. There's no shame in it. So um, take care and well wishes to everyone. Thank you so much, uh, Dr. Moby. Um, and that's the final uh, word from him for the show, um, the two day show, International Humanity Summit. Thank you, Dr. Moby. We'll see you again. Take care, care right. while he goes right. to the hospital. Um, I'd like right. to give back the floor to uh, Annette. Um, probably Annette would like to also open up to everyone. Um, you know, if there, if if you all like to interview each other for one final question, Annette, uh, back to you. Yeah, thank you so much. What um, just what an amazing episode today or this morning actually because I think it's so important to share everybody's perspective from female to male and uh, we all have a different story but we all have some similar stories as well and so I think it was just really great to be able to share that with the world on um, just little pieces of the inside the the behind the scenes of really what really goes on in our lives and i'm just so proud of each and one of you for 
gaining that, having that strength and the courage to say something. Not everybody can, not everybody's ready, but you guys have all been through a different journey to be where you are at now. And I'm just so blessed to know um, all of you and to be in this space with all of you. So thank you so much. And the yeah, thank you for even yeah. be, for believing in us and for wanting us to share. Thank you. <laughs> yes. Um, before we say goodbye, um, I would think that uh, is like um, a frequently asked question. Um, before we say goodbye, is there can can someone like from Tara uh, for Tara, Christine, Nicole? Um, Ralph, Annette, can each one of you just one short question to someone? Ooh. Let's have Tara. <laughs> Tara, I'm not trying to get you out of the house. <laughs> it's okay. I guess maybe Nicole, I'll ask you a question because I, I do have a very busy career. Um, I am a photographer. Um, I've been a photographer for about 13 years now. Um, do you have a full-time career now that you're out of the military? Because you got out before your husband. And how was that balancing? Because the military comes first. Career comes after that. So have you had to deal with that? And, and how how did you juggle that? Oh, that's a good question. Sorry, I'm like in between a cold. So I jumped off camera. So <laughs> hopefully I won't choke. Um, but yes, so actually it was, I started building a career prior to my time um, of separation. I actually became a certified life coach um, two years prior to my retirement. And so I was building my business and my practice while I was still active. And then when I did retire in 2019, I stepped fully into that business, um, which is Navigate Your Freedom. And I work with women to really empower them to embrace a lifestyle of radiance and tranquility because I want to prevent them from burning out. I don't want them to go through the experiences that I had with it. Um, so I did that, but I also did it because I wanted a job that was mobile because at the time um, we did not know that my husband was going to be retiring. His retirement was a medical separation. Um, so. I wanted to be able to move around and have something that, like you very much said, keeps me in tune with my military community, um, but that I can move around with my my family and things like that and still be home. But it has definitely been a big transition, trying to be my own boss with, when, like Christine was saying, I'm used to having a structure. I'm used to having people tell me what to do. Um, but very, very great question. Thank you, Tara. Nicole, would you like to ask one of them um, unasked? A question yes so I would actually love to know more about Ralph I know Ralph was saying that um, for him his struggle was really stepping out of the service and then what to do and I heard you that you were you kind of were in the car industry and things like that but now you said that you're finally in a field that you feel that you enjoy so I'd love to know like what you are doing now so um, yeah so I did I did that you know through the struggle it took me six months, my last active duty paycheck of terminal leave that I got the call from Raytheon. And then I did a defense contracting for seven years. Uh, I went to Raytheon, to Lockheed Martin. Then I networked with somebody who was coming here to California 
to become a GS civilian. And he just told me, hey, uh, <clears throat> it was a move from Hawaii to California. And I said, hey, he said, come meet the boss. I had active duty orders to uh, march at a reserve base. I said, hey, come meet the boss, come drive up here. So my chief at that time said, yeah, go up there, check it out. And um, he gave me, like, suddenly we just talk, you know, um, just talk story, talk about family and stuff. And then two years later, my friend said, hey, there's a position for you. And they're only looking for your name. And so, you know, it's, it's all about networking, right? And the the boss asked him, said, who's your replacement? He said, that guy you talked story with two years ago. And he goes, oh, I already did his interview. So now um, if I stayed in Hawaii, I wouldn't make the money I'm making now. And it's all because I network with somebody, you know, there's the teamwork things, um, that military experience where you work together as a team and you, you lead, you lead, we're both leads for our, our respective uh, divisions. And so that's why he, he chose me as his replacement because he knew I could handle the job. So that's, that's where I ended up now. And then just finding your purpose, right? Um, now I coach youth basketball. I love basketball. Um, I coach basketball, uh, middle school basketball. Uh, they asked me, you want a stipend? I said, no, I'm doing this for the love. And I also coach the travel basketball team here uh, for free. Uh, I don't, I pay for everything. Uh, I write resumes to make a little bit of cash and I use that to buy basketball supplies. So it's kind of where I'm at right now. So, uh, and that's pretty much how I got to where I'm at now. So. Well, would you like to post a question to Christine or Annette? One of the ladies. <laughs> Is there anything you'd like to find out? From yeah, so uh, Christine, I know, I know you talked about purpose. Uh, how long or did you find your purpose yet after getting out of the military? or is it still a struggle like how it was for me? It has, um, it has been a nine month process to really hone in um, my purpose in life and why I'm, why I'm doing what I do. And it all boils back to basically helping transition veterans find their purpose in life, um, to help them through that process of finding themselves, um, just figuring out what they want to do, you know, and how to pursue it. So still brand new to me you know and just like just like everybody here you know everything's changing and growing and, and morphing every day but yeah that's that's what i've become very passionate about is is helping my fellow veterans and i never even had that thought or an inkling of it um, when i retired last july it's just where i have grown into and i know it's just going to grow even further so yeah so christine um so Annette has been sharing that she's been the one asking questions. Would you <laughs> like to have the honor of asking Annette a question? Oh my goodness, we could we could be here forever again. Um, so Miss Annette, um, what is one thing that you would like to share um, to help an individual who might be stuck at this moment? Um, it could be a transitioning veteran. It could just be a person in general. Um, I guess a word of advice for them. 
I find I've, I've talked to a lot of people who are hesitant. They know what they want, but they don't know if they can do it. And so what I tell them is, and, and I know you've heard this, is do what sets your soul on fire. If that's what you want to do, do it. It doesn't matter what anybody else thinks. You're going to fail. You're going to fall, but you're going to get back up. And so that's, yeah, that's, that's my advice is don't hesitate. Just go for it and it'll come. So true. So true. <laughs> yeah. So thank you so much, ladies and gentlemen. We are one hour and about 30 minutes uh, into the whole session. Um, I thank you so much for being uh, in Singapore, um, you know, right here in Singapore and this is going to go uh, international and this is going to really be uh, digitalized and stay forever in the for perpetuity um, thank you so much ladies and gentlemen a lot of uh, moments uh, of uh, uh, I should, the American call it drop mic moments mic drops mic drops <laughs> yeah so I'd like to um, give this back to Annette to say the final wrap up Again, thank you all so much for being here. Thank you, Vicky, for, and Dr. Moby for allowing us to have this platform. This is, I know it's huge for all of us. So thank you so much. And uh, on that note, um, I, I don't know how um, we're going to come back to meet again, but I do hope that we meet again sometime in 2020 to start a conversation um, with the world. Um, yes. Definitely um, veterans, American veterans, a lot of veterans all over the world. And I think they all um, have the same similar um, situations um, that you, you, know, you all have um, detailed and described. I want to thank you from the bottom of my heart. Thank you, Tara. Thank you, Ralph. Thank you, Christine. Thank you, Nicole. Thank you, Annette. I'm in Singapore and I want to welcome you physically to Singapore whenever you can. And Ralph actually came to Singapore just before the pandemic hit, right, Ralph? <laughs> <laughs> yes, it did. So, um, so I want to thank all of you and I want to bless you from the bottom of my heart. And a shout out to everyone. Um, after this International Humanities Summit, I'm also calling out for um, people uh, like yourselves and like um, everyone who has been uh, our speaker to be my collaborator for the next uh, international uh, summit. Thank you once again, ladies and gentlemen, and I will be doing my Christmas season next. Christ is the reason. And let's give everyone a round of applause and Merry Christmas. <laughs> Happy Thanksgiving. All the best. Bye. Bye. Thank you for the wonderful show. Bye. <laughs> <laughs>